Welcome to Being Human. This week's guest is Lisa Adkin. She's the President Emerita of the Agile Coaching Institute. She is an Agile coach and she is a facilitator of difficult problems. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thanks, Richard. I'm really glad to be here with you. Uh, yeah. So, so the route to you was through a former guest, uh, Luis Gonzalez, and he talked about the fact he was writing a book and he was going to approach you about writing a, a forward. And, and I, and, uh, I said, oh, who, who's that? And he, he admonished me. He's like, what do you mean, who's that? You call yourself an agile guy? <laughs> Man. <laughs> so I was like, okay, maybe I should get a book. Oh. And so now here we are. I've read your book and now you're, you're here on the show. So it's, it's amazing. Here we are. Here we are. Mm. Much, much thanks to him. <laughs> yeah. And we uh, we chatted a little bit before before the show and talked about you know what we might want to talk about today. And you described the fact that you're in a, a transitionary period right now. Do you, do you want to elaborate mm. on that? Yeah, it's a well. Let's just say it's a very uncomfortable place to be. And I think that um, I'm not the only one who's experiencing a sort of transition. I think that uh, well, anytime agile comes into an environment, it creates this sort of identity crises for people and has them move into transitions, whether or not they want them. Um, and also just the complexity of our world. So I'm hoping by talking about this today, I'm, I'll benefit those people who are like me, sort of sitting in the goo. And I, I just love the, the little science lesson about how when a caterpillar is becoming a butterfly, it goes through the stage in the chrysalis. And for a really long time, what's in the chrysalis is neither caterpillar nor butterfly. It's just a bunch of goo. Um, and for a quite a good while now, as I'm shifting uh, my identity, essentially, shifting my identity from uh, one of the thought leaders and the sort of one of the main instigators of agile coaching as a profession, um, which I'm still in with both feet, but I'm no longer, you know, leading the charge on that. Um, and I'm shifting to something that's not quite butterfly yet. <laughs> There's, there are pieces I can, I can like, I can sense the curve of a wing and I can sense a kind of a color. Um, and there are pieces that are getting in place, but there are still a lot of open questions for me about how I emerge and really serve from uh, the platform I'm on, which through various pieces of luck and a little bit of hard work and a whole lot of synchronicity um, got created for me. And right. the question I'm standing on from this platform is how do I best serve? Right. And something else is emerging as well as the thought leader role, the agile coach role. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, go ahead. Well, and what are some of the strands of that then? What, what, what do these new wing stumps look like? <laughs> wing stumps, little wing stumps. There's a, well, there are some things that are fully formed that I, that I have decided to sort of pitch my wagon to. Um, because I think they can really impact the agile world at its foundation. And so like one of the questions standing on this platform that I'm at and this sort of this megaphone that I have for my voice, um, is, you know, how do I best serve the agile as an agile 
at the agile world as an agile community. Because when I look at us as a community, I have amazing, tremendous love for us and for our capabilities. And as in any human system, I also see our foibles and the places where we fall down, you know, in our own best efforts to live uh, in the agile way that we espouse to others. Right. And so the idea of impact, the agile world, the foundation, there are really two things that have come into being that I pitched my wagon to. One is a program called 10 Women Strong, and the other is a personal agility system. And I think when more people take advantage of both of these, we will be walking our talk a lot more, and we will be, um, each of us, living just more fulfilled, agile lives. And then from there, you know, from there, like, magic happens, right? So who knows what all that is, what all that magic is. I want to create the conditions, um, at least help create the conditions for that magic to spark. Okay. Well, let's start with the first one, with 10 Women Strong. So, yeah, what role do you see that in people having fulfilled lives? Well, um, you know, I noticed a strange thing, and a lot of people have noticed a strange thing in the Agile community itself, is that even though we have so much going for us, in that um, most people in the Agile community really sort of feel very egalitarian toward one another, um, it's fairly it's a fairly welcoming community. Even our values, so let's just talk about the four statements of values from the Agile Manifesto. They are, um, they're things that are, white, collaborative, um, relational, you know, things that are sort of in a woman's wheelhouse, right? And yet you ask someone, well, you know, who are the people I should read in the Agile community or who are the thought leaders right now? Um, For a long time and still up until now, I think that most people would hear men's voices. Right. You know, the men's names being said by someone who's getting asked that question. And, um, you know, thank goodness for them. You know, I've learned a lot from them. And there's something like, what is it that is holding the women back? And so I want to help women figure out what that is and uh, clear it so they can live expressively, so that their genius comes forward, so that when a few years from now, when someone's asked that question, we have you know, all kinds of a mix of different shapes and sizes and of humans on the left. Right. Um, but what I suppose what's interesting is you are a leading voice uh, in, in the agile community. You are a woman. What, what, what do you think might exist as impediments for others that, that either weren't there for you or that you had, had some ability to overcome? Yeah. yeah. So what I've come to realize in the last few years and what helped create this, um, I guess we could call it success over the last 10 years, is that I have a tremendous amount of masculine energy. I mean, just like a tremendous amount of incredible goal focus, directionality, um, penetrative in some way, actually. You know, I'm like willing to put my ideas out there. I'm willing to be the one in front, or at least I have been for a long time. Um, and, and, and I love that, but also much to the sacrifice of my feminine core. 
which is really much more um, about being in what I call the spacious fire of creativity with other people. I could create a lot by myself or with a small group of people. Now I want to be in a situation where so many people are creating all the time. And that's it required me to tap more into my feminine essence and then the gifts that are here in this feminine body. And so I think that's a maybe a long story short of uh or a short story long maybe of um of why I didn't, you know, encounter so many impediments that I hear women telling me they encounter. I think I just sort of ignored it all and knocked through it honestly. Right. Okay. So so the women I'm working with in the 10 Women Strong programs, and so these programs come to us from outside the Agile world, and Deb Preuss, who is a, an Agile coach in, and a professional coach in Germany, and I have joined with Carolyn Dragon, who created these programs, so that we, ha- we bring this to the women in the Agile world. And, you know, there's lots of structural reasons why women get held back, and that's not what the, the 10 Women Strong programs address. I think those need to be addressed. Um, and there's actually a women in agile org that is addressing some of those. What I want to address are the internal limitations that, that, that we as women, including myself, are very adept at taking a cue from society and putting it right inside of us. And now that becomes a governor on, uh, and a restrictor for our expression in the world. That's what I want to clear. I mean, I noticed, for example, like in an open space, and even even this year, I was in an open space situation. Still, first 25 people to come up were men and about 40% women in the room. And I'm like, what is up with that? Mm, and, <laughs> and I'm just thinking for listeners who are not familiar with open space as a term, maybe just yeah. briefly elaborate. Yeah. So open space is an unconference format where people come and... um and there is someone who opens the space and is sort of the guide for the event. But the topics are generated by the people in the room. And then it gets slotted into time slots and places and people learn a whole lot from each other. And so the way it works is that uh, at some point people will come up and say, hey, here's my topic and I'm going to do it on this time and in this room. And the hey, here's my topic, people, um, you know, the vast majority, like, like literally I counted 25 in one just a few months ago were men, even though there were plenty of women in the room. And so I asked myself the question, like, so what is it that has the women not get in, get somewhere in that 25? And there's not an answer for it. But the work I'm doing with the women in the Agile Women in Leadership Program, which which is one of our 10 Women Strong programs, I can tell you that the things they're working on are things like um, boundaries, uh, working on not feeling like they measure up, even though they might have greater qualifications than many of the people in the room. And, um, and feeling like they're taking care of other things and they can't put themselves first. Right. And there's probably more specifics I could think of, but the, those are the ones that are coming to the fore right now that are, that are holding these women back from expressing themselves and becoming thought leaders in the agile world. They've got plenty of content and they have plenty of um, insight. So what is it? What is it that doesn't have them come forward? Right. Mm-hmm. And even as you're saying this, I, I can see that this this applies to 
and I can see this would have applied to me in certain situations is for men, right? You know, there are absolutely right. Statistically, it's going to be the guys who are, who are generally more, more outgoing in those situations. And yet there would still be a significant minority of men who, who are less confident than many of the men, women in the, in the same. That's right. That's right. I mean, so like a dream I'm holding is that we have a 10 women strong programs. And then we have some corollary to that for men where men can do their work with men without having the, the additional layer of the, the gender issues. And then once two groups have done their work, they come together for a capstone retreat and then see what we can create together, you know, bringing on. So what I'm, what I'm really wanting are fully capable human beings, masculine and feminine qualities, both in one body, because we all have them. Just a question of what we're allowing to express. Right. right. And if I look at the broader the scope, you know, what we, what we have in our community, um, um, I would say as a lack of yin essence, yin to yang, yin, a lack of yin essence in the thought leadership in our community. Um, it's a lack of yin essence in the thought leadership in the world right now and in the decision makings in the world right now. So, you know, why couldn't we be an exemplar? Yeah. It's the thought that comes to mind is we had Alistair Coburn on the show a few episodes mm-hmm. back and, he had this this idea of three types of leadership, and a third of which was this this notion of co- or co inspiration. And the way that he, the mm. metaphor he created was 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 like the whack a moles, right? That you, the, mm. the, the, but but the people are just popping, and 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 so mm. in a particular environment, you don't have like a leader, right? Mm. Um, mm. You, you just have this this idea of of people popping and inspiring each other, and mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I can't imagine a, a sort of or bubbles popping in a boiling pot. That, yeah, that, I love it. But but in that case, right? If, if you if you frame leadership in that way, then actually the idea of the thought leader goes away, and in some ways you sidestep that problem of moves, confidence yeah. of an individual becoming a thought leader. And actually, if you and I know this is going against what you, you started <laughs> uh, by saying, is to look within. But if one were to look without and look at the environment and start thinking about designing spaces that facilitated this sort of popping. Uh, yeah. Actually, that particular issue becomes less less. Uh, I love it. I love well, or or it just gets spread to everyone now. That particular mm. issue, right? But but if you're right. There is so there's long been the debate of which comes first: work with people and their limitation, their internal limitations and their behavior, or set the environment up such that that those behaviors don't arise. So that's been long been a debate, mm. right? And I I like both. <laughs> Like, why not? Why not do both, right? But you're reminding me that one of the things the women doesn't do in this program is that they decide an area of their life that they want more satisfaction in just for a season. It's like right now I'm working with the women. It's the spring season. And then they create themselves a title and a mantra and a whoa manifesto. And um, and one of the women's titles is architectress. Of- oh, sorry, a, wo- a whoa manifesto? A woe manifesto. That's right. So, what does the woe stand for? Something or <laughs> well, when we when we when we when we uh, when my friend Carolyn has been doing this program with other women, she started off by saying, "You're going to create a manifesto." I'm like, why are we creating a manifesto? This needs to be a, a woman festo. This will woman fest, woman fest. Oh, and it became a woe, woe manifesto. Like, oh, like go out there and do it. So like all of these things that help women stay clear about what they're working on and 
the one that you're reminding me of is we have an architectress of joyful and creative space um, in our group this time. So she's totally focusing on that for her, for herself and for the environment she leads. So that, okay. so that, that leadership does become a shared thing. I mean, that's, that's a long been a goal of agile environments is that leadership becomes shared. Yes. Uh, and even with our best intents with it, with, as you described, the open space where we do everything we possibly can to create uh, more turn taking and that multiple mm -hmm. and masturbation, right, we still get some of these patterns. Into this. Mm -hmm. Interesting to reflect on. Yeah. 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 And, and in my own facilitation in groups, I'm so aware that because my pace is active, I need to really bring in a lot of things that are thoughtful pace. Because so many things are designed for active paced people, especially if the primary collaboration vehicle is verbal. Those active paced people are going to beat the thoughtful paced people to, to the conversation every single time. Right. And so, so creative space, you know, like some of the things she's probably doing are figuring out ways of collaborating that don't have the verbal channel come on first because that um, it privileges a certain sort of, you know, fast thinker person. Right. Well, that's, that's it. So my best experience of, of using nonverbal techniques is actually with Lego serious play. I don't know if you've ever mm. used that. Yeah. 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 Work, working with a group and there was a particular interesting enough female who we we've we found it extremely difficult to engage in any of the group exercises and we gave a, a lego building challenge to this group mm -hmm. and she came alive and and she, mm. she she built out a whole section of this model and then was able to to actually then given that 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 basis and the recognition of that model by the rest of the group she then was able to verbalize the story of that model yeah. i found that but you, you you're having me think now is because i've always thought about Lego series play is kind of an interesting technique that works in a situation, but I hadn't considered that actually one of its qualities is that it's principally nonverbal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm big into at least initially nonverbal collaboration techniques. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah so great. Um, so that's, uh, so that's the, the, the women side of that. And you see that potentially seeding, yeah, a shift in the agile community. I can see that cross fertilization. Yeah, I, you know, maybe it could happen. Um, I don't know. I mean, the the doing it is worth doing it just for these individual women. So, you know, my high dream is that new vibrant collaborations come out of it between the women, or that women step forward uh, who have something to say, who've been wanting to say it and holding themselves back, that they finally step forward and they become a new recognized voice. You know, maybe all any or some or none of those things will happen. I don't know. Um, but I know that helping women step into their own authentic leadership, not not the mode that we've seen in the sort of masculinized form of leadership, their own authentic form. Um, and I know just helping women, you know, get back a little bit of shine. Mm. You know, those things are worth it just in themselves. Right. Right. And it's interesting. It does actually touch into one section of your book where you talk about building the ego, building individual mm. collaborators. Mm. Uh, and 
about ego versus van- vanity. I don't know if you recall that, but that, that I had, yeah, I do. I got I got a lot of flack for that actually. I had one review, early review of the book, who just hated that. Um, he, he just said all ego is bad. You know, since since then I've done about uh, seven years of study in Zen, and I can tell you that all ego is not bad. <laughs> At least from the lineage that I'm studying, and it's just limited. No. but but I do love I do love that. So what do you want? What do you want to bring in about that? Well, I just it, it I guess that just that distinction was an interesting one. I hadn't I hadn't come across yeah. before, but the idea that we can contrast ego with vanity, and I myself, I recognize myself in that. Sometimes I will get caught up in vanity and worrying about what mm-hmm. others think. Uh, and we might think that's something to do with ego, but actually the way you distinguished it was like, no, 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 ego is something else. Ego is something that is the ability to stand up and not be concerned about what others think of, mm-hmm. on the surface of what it is you're presenting. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so, so the, the, I suppose you're elaborating the value of ego. Yeah, just having the capability to assert is the idea there. Having the capability and the willingness to assert your idea. Um, and, you know, you can, you know, the best situation is that you're now also open to how that idea lands for other people and how other people build on that idea and that sort of thing. You know, we move into the flip side of vanity, which is um, I'm so vain. I'm going to love every idea I say, no matter what you say, right? Which is not, which is uh, not a healthy ego either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, mm-hmm. so you started with the, the women's group issue as mm-hmm. one of the, one of the threads yeah, and the other one is the personal agility system. Um, this one's important to me, too, and I think it can, with 10 Women Strong, really sort of the Agile community are not. I think that a lot of us um, have used, and I certainly have, used some kind of rudimentary form of Scrum or Kanban to sort of organize our lives and you know, get ourselves to do things, keep moving forward, that sort of stuff. And, um, and that's a benefit, but it's not bringing in the larger question of why would we want to do that at all? And, and just like Scrum relies on someone else figuring out a vision for the product or the service we're trying to use Scrum to create. Um, what is the vision? Like what really matters to me? And therefore, when I organize my upcoming week, or when I don't organize it and I actually track what I've done for the last four weeks and put that in a, in a list in four, you know, four lists and go, wow, I haven't done anything related to what matters in those last four weeks. It's that sort of radical transparency with oneself that personal agility has brought to me. Um, it's helping me see all the ways I kind of like lie to myself or skirt around like give myself all kinds of excuses for why i did or didn't do something or um or why i chose to do something else you know things that i probably should have said no to that i said yes to you know kind of implicitly for example um so i'm finding that to be so valuable and it's enlivening it is really enlivening the essence of agile for me 
Right. And I think, and I think that if we have more people in our community enlivened that way by the essence of agile in their own, in the way they're conducting their own complete life, including work, life, recreation, you know, everything, um, then they're going to be in much better position to help others do it. Um, and then I really get excited about the idea of people doing it inside of corporations. Uh, what, doing it as individuals inside of com- co- corporations? Yes, yes, yeah. Well, so I'm wondering if we just unpack this a bit for, for people who, who are coming to this podcast and, and perhaps are fairly new to the Agile conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh, So what does it look like? So personal agility, just sort of break it down in terms of the, the, what you might do on a daily or a weekly basis for people and, and maybe just a few of the tools, just to paint a picture before for yeah, people. Yeah, great. So um, to learn more about it, you would look up Maria Mattarelli or Peter Stevens. They're the creators of the personal agility system. You'd also just Google personal agility system, right? And so um, what is, what's, what's there in addition in the personal agility system to just sort of managing your life in lists um, is this idea of being um, uh, ki- kind but firm with yourself about achieving what really matters to you and identifying what really matters to you and constantly coming back to that. So there's there's this sort of set of questions around the personal agility system that have people look inwardly to figure that stuff out. And then have people look inwardly at some of the um, the main reasons why we don't do more of what we wanted. Um, procrastination, uh, running into roadblocks, fear, you know, all the ways we delude ourselves, essentially. And so the personal agility system is an, um, it's an online program that people can take as a solo journey. And it's four weeks and it leads you through step by step of considering those deeper questions getting a sense of that and then starting to use personal agility in your own life and then having four iterations of that, each iteration being a week long. Um, and so that, that's what I did. I used the, the part, the portal and, um, it may help me make some really big decisions really early and not waste time following some business things that I thought I was going to move in the direction of. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I think that's where people would look for more. There is a personal agility book coming out. Maria and Peter are writing it, and um, and they're releasing chapters for reviewers. And so that's a possibility to get in early on that as well. Right. And it sounds like they've taken that conversation a little deeper than some of the material I've read in this space. It sounds like it's it's not just about the techniques and the, and the tools. As mm-hmm. you said, it's getting to the essence of being kind to myself, but being honest and firm with myself. Like that's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I've just, I've just finished a five week uh, journey of doing a, a touch base call with a group of people who were going through the portal together. So they were doing it like week by week together. Um, and, you know, and a lot of the conversation was about um, the fact that they were excited that they were making progress on things they've said were important to them for years number one. But number two, like what this evidence-based way of dealing with your life brings to you, both on the positive and the negative side. So like the negative side is, oh my gosh, what an idiot I am. I, you know, spent 
a whole day binging on Netflix. I didn't need to do that, you know, one piece. And the other side is, um, you know, I have this story in my head that because I travel weekly as a consultant when I, when I, that I'm lonely. And I come home on the weekend and I spend all these times with my friends and then I still say I'm lonely. And so by having that evidence, um, one could look at that and go, hang on, am I really lonely? Because I'm spending a lot of time with people and I am getting a lot from that. And so like the possibility for this evidence that happens when you, when you not only use uh, Agile to get stuff done, but to look back at your life and see what has happened related to things that really matter to you. I mean, th that evidence can turn the stories around. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can see that and I can really see how that builds capability in terms of a, a team environment, because, of course, yeah. what people often find so hard when they move to this shift to an agile way of working is the level of personal exposure. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. And, and so but if you're if you're already on that journey in your personal life by exposing, your, I suppose, yourself to your own work rate and exactly what you're doing that's consistent with your goals and what isn't and so on, you're 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 preparing the ground you're building that self self-awareness yeah. which actually goes back to your book start with self-awareness yeah. uh in your in your in your personal space and then you kind of you you bring all that then yeah. to the environment i can i can absolutely see the power i know just imagine I mean, it's actually also back to your idea from the coaching agile teams book of building individual collaborators right and so imagine that people would have these capabilities um and how conversations would be totally different I mean, imagine that executives use personal agility system in their lives to organize their, and I mean their whole life, like, because you look at the whole thing, right? The whole work and life thing. And then, and then later when you have a conversation with them about there being too much work in progress in the organization, that's not just a concept or a phrase that's coming from the ether into their ears. It's something they've felt in themselves because they've already had to deal with the fact that they have a personal work in progress limit. Mm. That's actually one of the biggest learnings I had is, my God, I am killing myself going way past my personal work in progress limit. I need a much more sustainable pace to my work. So imagine if an executive had that experience. Right. And then now as an enterprise agile coach, we're coming to them and saying, hey, we're noticing a lot of work in progress in the organization. That would be a very different conversation, I think. And so I, that's a dream I have is that we can instill um, the essence of agile um, by people using this in their personal life. Yeah. So it, it goes from being conceptual to being experiential. That's right. Right. And, and of course, yeah. ultimately, all agile teams make that journey. If they're going to get there ever, they're eventually they're going to experience something. They're not just going to yep. learn some concept. But to, to start that experiential journey early, yeah, it makes total sense. Mm -hmm. And actually to start that, I can see that as being a potentially a superior strategy when you're dealing with executives who are unfamiliar with, with the Agile conversation. Yeah, right. Rather than and trying to help them restructure their teams, is start them there yeah. and give them some experiences makes yeah. some sense to me. You know, this year I'm going to expand my one-on-one -on -one coaching um roster to take on probably about three or four more transformation leaders. I haven't done that in years, but I'm going to go back to it and do it. Um, and one of the things I've decided is if that transformation leader has not uh, experienced agile on the delivery team, 
that we're going to spend the first four weeks with them doing personal agility. Because the, the whole conversation is going to shift them. Yeah. yeah. I, hear, I, just, I hear people all the time complain about, complain about this, that leaders say, oh, go agilize them. It's, you know, has nothing to do with me. And we're also hearing the biggest barrier is a leadership class feeling, right? So. Yeah. 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 And it's immediately bringing up some guilt in me where I think, I, I mean, I do have a personal Kanban. And for those listening, that's just a, it, it's a special way of managing your list into co- columns of to do, doing, done. And, mm-hmm. and, but I could e- equally immediately see how, A, I'm not as rigorous around my personal work in progress, like how many things I'm doing at work once, but also that, that, that deeper concern with, to what extent are these aligned to the big picture, right? I can, I can immediately see mm-hmm. the gaps in my practice as we, as we speak. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's helped me actually stay in the goo um, of this year and not, you know, kind of uh, too soon create a category or a pattern and say, okay, Lisa, just do that. Cause I'm, I'm really wanting to participate in, um, Maybe it's a new way. Maybe it's someone's done it before. I don't know. But but I'm envisioning a new way of doing coaching consulting in organizations around agile and around leadership consulting and coaching. Um, and because I was using personal agility, I was able to say to myself, okay, that's a priority. And I'm going to allow myself to do the learning I need to do this year to be ready for that, to do the experiments I need to do to see if the offers I have in mind would be useful for people. And then socialize those offers and see what the heck people say, which is like the most vulnerable thing that I'm in the middle of right now. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see it. A bit. Well, I mean, it's back to the Gandhi, right? The, the be the change you want to see, right? We, 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 we should all start, right, in our, in our personal sphere and before we, we start evangelizing to the world. So <laughs> I can see the integrity of it. Yeah. Um, so personal agility, the other thing I thought we might pick up on you took you, so that's something you're as a, as a, is obviously a, a personal practice, daily practice for you. Yeah. You took the book about daily practices. Are there, are there any other daily mm. practices you're experimenting with? Paul, yeah. You, you, yeah, it's, yeah. It's crazy. I once made a list of the, all the daily practices I have used and it was a really, really long list. And, um, I have to say, I'm not incredibly rigorous about doing any one daily practice every single day like I wish sometimes I wish I were but there's a greater part of me that just really doesn't want to do it so I guess I might not do it I don't know um but there's I am in in a in a zen group with Diane Musha Hamilton Roshi and we meet on Saturdays and we learn about zen in the Soto lineage and um sit together and so I um I do uh, that sort of Zazen sitting meditation. Um, this year I've been bringing in more, and she has too, been bringing in more Vipassana um, techniques of meditation, um, which is more of a mm-hmm. compassion-centered way of doing meditation. Um, so that is one class of, of daily practice. Another one that is so essential to me right now um, is getting in touch with the wisdom in my body and in this feminine human form. 
And for that, I'm using something called Koya, Q-O-Y-A. Um, and it's a series of classes you could take. You can buy videos online. And there are also a ton of free videos. And what I love is just to go to the Koya website. <laughs> and then she has this page of all these amazing videos that are just about 15 minutes long, right? And they have just enticing titles, things like Do Your Sacred Work, Get Off the Caffeine, um, hearts break so they can open, you know, stuff like that. And so I just scan that and say, so what am I feeling like I need right now? And what I'm learning is that I can process a lot of the, the cognitive and physical dissonance of being in such a complex world, a confounding world. I can process that through movement and the wisdom of my own body. And I don't have to logic it out all the time. Um, and so that has become a really important daily practice. Um, in fact, she just did this thing. It was so cool. She sent this email that was 10 days of five-minute videos. And so, like, if you could only get a tiny little bit in today, you know, like, here's your little shot of, of getting back in touch with your wise, wild, and free nature as a person in this human form as a, and as a, in this feminine form in particular. So that's a new one. That's a new one. And that one has been really important. And with the 10 Women's Program, I've picked up, um, I've re-picked up my gratitude practice again. So most days I'm sitting and really considering what am I grateful for. And what are you most grateful for right now, Lisa? <laughs> hmm. I, I am most grateful for um, somehow this ability that's come online for me to be in a situation like this and not know what I'm going to say and be okay with it. That's a new capability that's come online in just the few, last few years, actually. So I can see, I can see the lineage that's run up to this moment. Um, I'm also incredibly grateful for your willingness to let this be a, sort of lazy river conversation, you know, knowing that I don't necessarily have uh, a point of view I'm trying to get across like I, you know, like I did in the 10 years prior to this. Um, right. Uh, yeah. What's that like not having a, a strong point of view right now? Um, it's exactly where I need to be and it is damned uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm so used to sort of being um, trailblazer or the one charging ahead, like creating a path for other people to follow. And I just, um, I just under undertook a really intense six months um, with a coach who's a, an integral coach. And, um, and we were sh doing the very deliberate shift of me from being that sort of champion to being um, the one that sits at the side of the fire. Like not not exactly around the campfire, but the one that's just like in the ring outside, who can um, who can very rarely put something into the conversation that shifts it, and not being the one moving it. And that is a whole new set of practices for me, and a whole different way of being. But it feels right. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe this is the next 
well, the next phase of learning. But interesting, that came through in the book as well. That's something I took away from the book. Um, coaching agile teams is this idea that sometimes it's, it's our job to wait for the mm. thought to arise in the group, but not for us. Oh, to for certain, for certain. I think in some ways I wrote a lot of things in that book that I'm just now coming to understand at the, at a level of like a very, like a drop inside of a deep well. I'm just now starting to realize some of those things in my own life. Even though I knew them on a certain level and I was being and practicing them on a certain level when I wrote that book, the, my practice of them has become deeper. Hmm. Yeah, that that's I can I can relate to that. I do a lot of lo- yoga. I've done yoga for ten years, and it's it's interesting mm-hmm. how you, you sort of think you get you think you've got a pose, and you think you understand what the, the yoga teacher's talking about, and and then five years later, you're like, <laughs> I had no clue what she was talking about. I'm so no with you about that pose. <laughs> I am so with. Yes, indeed, I experienced that in yoga as well, <laughs> and many places. Yeah, I know. It's funny. Well, um, remember, forget, remember, forget. It seems to be the human condition, you know, or maybe it's no, don't know, no, don't know. And it's an ever deepening spiral uh, every time we realize we know again. Right, right. Yeah. 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 I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm thinking you took, you mentioned having an integral coach, but the, the the will the Ken Wilber I presume it's the same integral as the Ken Wilber. It's work, um right? it's an offshoot. So this this coaching school is informed by we say what what people in the integral community would say it's integrally informed. <laughs> <laughs> but but he has yeah. that notion of the spiral. And oh, going, for, so, for certain. Together, right? For certain. Yeah, and my study with Diane Musho Hamilton, Roshi is not only in Zen, but she also teaches the integral facilitation curriculum that I spent a year in um, and just finished that last year this time. And that is absolutely about how to how to operate in all four of the integral well, actually all aspects of the integral model. Live and in person and in real time with a group. Right. And for our listeners, remind people what the four Especially are. Especially when the group gets into um, either um, the, well, the, the, the simplest notion of integral theory, and Ken Wilber is the guy you go look up for this, is that um, all the time, uh, any phenomenon can be looked at through four different lenses, let's call them. Sometimes we say four different windows. Um, and what happens for most human beings is that we have a window that sort of is our, our default way that we see the world, and we don't even recognize that there are three other things to look at. And so oftentimes we're running around the world um, with, without a holistic picture of what's going on. Um, and I have a great desire in the world, for, especially for agile coaches and especially, especially for leaders, to be using this model to see things more holistically before they act. Um, so that's that's a little about why it's important. The, if we lay if we lay it down just very quickly, um, imagine a two by two matrix. One of the quadrants. If you put your hand in the upper left, so go ahead. If you're listening, go ahead and put your hand in the upper left quadrant right now. That is the I quadrant. This is the quadrant of what's going on internally 
let's just talk about an individual human being because that's the easiest way to do it. An individual human being. What's going on internally for an individual human being? The only way we can access that in another is to ask them questions and have them answer, basically, right? Okay, now put your hand in the right hand, upper right hand quadrant. This is going to a very, very different place. It's called the it quadrant. And it is about individual um, phenomenon that we can measure and touch and have a sense of like, is it going well or not? <laughs> so for an individual, these would be their outward behaviors. This is what you would see in their outward behaviors. This is how they would describe themselves. And it's really about individual behavior and then another individual behavior and another see, individual um, it quadrant. Okay, that's the top half. Now we're going to the bottom half. Put your hand in the lower left. That is called the we quadrant. That is the space of human relationship, human system dynamics. We're thinking about an individual human being. This is the net or the web of relationships this person is in in their lives. Right? You think about a team, you can, you can feel the we space on a team or any group of people typically, um, especially if something um, difficult has just happened. When you walk into a meeting room, let's say you walk in late, something difficult has happened, sometimes you can go, uh-oh, hang on. That's you feeling what we often say is the we space. Right? Okay, that's the bottom left. Bottom right, put your hand there. That's the it's quadrant. So um, this is all of the systems, structures, processes, um, everything that is sort of uh, able, enables or disables you to have a full life. And so um, for an individual human being, this would be things like uh, your access to healthcare, your um, ability to cope with the difficulties of your life and what kind of support structures are there for you. So you, you'll, you'll think of like big systems, big processes, that sort of stuff for the it's quadrant. And of course, we've talked about this with an individual human being, but you can also apply this to a team. You can apply this to an, a department or a function within an organization or a value stream. You can apply it to a whole organization. You can apply it to a, syst to a situation. That's where I like to apply it the most. You're like, we have, we have this release management problem. Okay, let's put the release management problem in the middle of this model. And let's force ourselves to look through all four windows before we take action. Hmm. Yeah. No, eloquently put, it's, uh, it's well since I've read Ken Wilber, but yeah, it's, it's bringing it all back. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's another thing that I'm sure I will study my entire life. And at various times go, God, I was such an idiot. I so didn't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> over and over again. I mean, it, it is that deep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Great. Well, we've, we've covered a lot of ground, Lisa. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been a brilliant conversation. Yeah, I've, I've really appreciated speaking with you today. Mm. So one, uh, one question I often like, to ask the guests uh, is uh, given the title of the, the, the podcast is being human um, for you, uh, where you're at right now in the goo, uh, what does it mean to be human? Um, God, I just love that question. I listened to several of your podcasts, but I did not listen to the end. So I did not expect this to be coming. 
and I like that I don't I didn't know it. Um, being human to me um, means being vulnerable to uh, everything in the external world that keeps changing. That uh, that sort of rocks our world, and I think we're in a time and space right now where really kind of none of us. I can't think of an individual human being on the world who has the luxury of not having change rock their world. Um, and if we get good at metabolizing change, then it could actually be a benefit that change continues to rock our world. And that's what I'm hoping for. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, I love the message. All right. Um, so for people who want to, so we'll put a link to the book, Coaching Agile All Teams, in the description for the show. Uh, Great, where else thank should you. we point people to? Uh, I, would, I would say um, a few places. Um, LisaAdkins.com is sort of the hub of everything I'm up to these days. Um, also, 10womenstrong.net slash agile will take you to the agile programs for women. Um, personalagility.org. We'll get you started with personal agility and, of course, Agile Coaching Institute. Going strong, low these many years, training thousands of Agile coaches every year. Fantastic. Okay. Well, thanks again for sharing your morning with us on the porch of your parents' house. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you very much. What a pleasure. uh, Do enjoy the rest of your, your day. Yeah, I appreciate you so much. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye for now. Bye bye. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.